So we are in a war. I think we'd rather not think of that and it's not meant to be frightening but it's, it's the truth. We are in a war and maybe this uh, sermon comes at the right time with the D-Day celebrations that have gone on this week. We face an everyday battle. We are in a war. Paul speaks about the schemes of Satan, the battle we're in, and actually we're not unaware of that. We know we're in a battle. But as Paul writes these words, he's sitting in a cell as he writes to the Ephesians. He thinks, how can I picture for these Ephesians what it's like and how we can win each battle? He's sitting there trying to picture the potential for victory in our lives. And as he's there, he'll be looking and seeing Roman soldiers. Maybe he's even chained to one of them. Writing with one hand, chained to the Roman soldier with the other. He thinks, well, how can we protect ourselves? How can we win each battle? And as he looks at the Roman soldiers, it's hard. Here's a picture of what it's going to be like if we're going to win. And he sees the armour, the things that uh, the soldier is wearing, and he thinks, right, well, I can take each one of those pieces of armour to show how we can be victorious in battle. And it's a common picture. If we're going to win at anything, we've got to have the right uniform for battle. Imagine Usain Bolt showing up for a 100 metres race in scuba gear. He's not going to run in 9.6 seconds or wherever he managed to do it in. And uh, a few years ago, of course, um, this was a good idea, but the marathon runner who wore the whole thing, and he took, what, five days to do it, which was pretty quick, actually. But he's never going to win a marathon race like that. If you have the wrong things on, you're going to sink. So what is the right thing for the battle of the Christian life? Well, here we have that picture of the armour of God that uh, Paul pictures as he looks at the Roman soldier and thinks, yes, each of those pieces, what does that mean for us as Christians? Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. The thing is, we get to put on the armour of God. He doesn't write to the Ephesians and say, you've already got the armour on. You see, there are places in Scripture where he says, we've got clothes on. He says, you have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. As we, our sin is put on Christ, so we get put on us the righteousness of Christ, so that when we stand before God, he sees us as perfect. That is put on for us. We have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. But here, he's basically saying, Every day you get a choice if you're going to win this battle. That choice is to put on the armour of God. It is our choice. We can, and perhaps sometimes we do, I I know it's probably true for me, we can try to live without armour. And that's like being naked in the Siberia or something. And we have no defence if we try to do that. But sometimes perhaps we try to put on our own armour. The things that we think can protect us instead of God's armour. 
And that is like wearing the wrong armour, the wrong clothes. We are still unprotected. You see, we do perhaps sometimes have our own schemes and our own ways to make sure, or to try and make sure, that we win the battle. But the way to victory is to choose to put on God's armour. It's a choice you and I make, not just once in our lives, but daily, perhaps more than daily, as we think about it. And the choice we make, of course, is incredibly important for a couple of reasons. Let's see if this is going to work. Because, first of all, battles are guaranteed. Is that working? Battles, well, it's battles are guaranteed. It says that you may be able to stand your, your ground in the day of evil. That's the song we're going to sing later. We know we live in an evil world. We know we face temptations every day of our lives. But that phrase, the day of evil, sort of indicates that there are going to be times in our lives when the battle becomes really intense. We have these struggles. Now sometimes the the phrase, the day of evil, means the last days, the second coming, and it might in part mean that here. But I think here it's talking about those times when we're in the battle and it becomes intense. Now, yes, we have the battles every day. There's temptations every day. And we need the armour of God for them. But there are times in all of our lives when it really seems to become intense. Perhaps a particular day or a particular week or month or even sometimes a year or, or, or more when the battle is really intense. And all of us are going to face those times when it seems really, really difficult. And the Bible says if we put the armour on now, when that day comes, we'll be able to stand firm. If we're doing it on that daily basis, if we're thinking about it, that when those struggles come, when those really intense time comes, we will be able to stand. And when those battles come, we mustn't think there's anything wrong with us or that we've done something bad and so we're being punished. And it's not that we're better at sinning than anyone else, it's just that there are going to be particular times in our lives when it's going to seem really hard, that Satan's going to come at us with all his schemes to try and derail us. It's part of the Christian life. We would like it not to be. I think all of us would like it to be. We come, become a Christians, all our problems disappear, life is wonderful, and there's never a problem we have to face. The truth of the matter, as we all know, is that is not what it's about. The struggles, the temptations, the difficulties, the schemes of Satan are all part of this life. Jesus faced it. We hear and read about that in the Gospels. Battles are totally guaranteed. But as we face these battles, as we come daily and also in those particular times, we need to know our enemy. We do need to know Satan. We have to have, if you like, a healthy respect for our enemy. It's essential if we're going to have victory. We don't respect him in the one sense, but there is a sense in which we respect what he can do. We mustn't underestimate Satan, or we go unarmed into battle. We have no weapons except our own very weak strength, and we know at those times we are quickly and easily defeated. So Paul tells us that our struggles are not against humans, but against the principalities and powers. Now, we could go into what these are, but whatever these principalities and powers are, 
It is clear that they are not human in origin, but demonic. They're from Satan. But if we want to know our enemy, we need to recognise three characteristics of these principalities and powers. The first is that they are powerful. They are powerful. We mustn't underestimate them. Satan actually said to Jesus that he could give him all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus doesn't deny that. Satan says, I can give you these. And Jesus himself gave him the ruler, he had the title, the ruler of this world. And John in his first letter says, the whole world is in the power of the evil one. Yes, Jesus is stronger. Yes, he decisively beat these powers. But as yet, they haven't conceded defeat, nor have they been destroyed. So, Satan and his minions continue to exercise considerable power. So we mustn't underestimate them. We actually don't need to be scared of them, of course, because Jesus is stronger, but it's Jesus who's stronger, not us. We will fail if we don't look to Jesus and the armour that we have, because they are stronger than us. The second thing is that they are wicked. Of course, power can be used or misused. And in the case of these principalities and powers, they use their power destructively rather than constructively. Of course, they use it for evil and not for good. They are the worldwide rulers of this present darkness. They live in darkness, not light. In fact, they hate the light. They love the world of falsehood and sin. And they are described as a spiritual host of wickedness which operate in the heavenly places. That is in the sphere of invisible reality. If we want to have any hope of winning the battles that we are in, we have to recognise how entirely evil they are. They have no morals, they are amoral. There is no code of honour with them and they have no feelings. I don't know if any of you have ever read the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. But in there we see how incredibly wicked they are, but how incredibly cunning they are. We're coming on to that in a minute. And the way they come as angels of light, and almost, well, we can see that Satan uses scripture at Jesus, and they will use scripture at us. But they are wicked. They are always misusing scripture. They have no feelings. There's no code of honour. They try and use any way to get us to fail, to sin, and to deny Jesus. They are utterly unscrupulous and ruthless in the pursuit of what they want to to do. We have to recognise how powerful they are, how wicked they are, and how cunning they are. Paul calls them wiles of the devil. The point is that Satan does not often really attack openly. Yes, he will do. But he's not called an angel of light for nothing. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yes, sometimes he may roar like a lion, but actually we, we recognise that a bit more. But he's, he comes as a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's as subtle as a serpent. The screw tape letters really show that so clearly. How clever he is in the way he misuses things, the way he just gets it into us. You know, that's what Satan did in the first place, wasn't he? He comes to Eve. 
And he says, did God say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Well, he didn't say that. There was just this one tree. But he, he changes the word slightly and he gets uh, Eve thinking, oh, maybe God's not as good as we thought he was. Maybe he's trying to ruin our lives. That's what Satan does. Open persecution and open temptation are not actually his most common methods of, at- of attack. The word wiles is used in chapter 4, verse 14 of Ephesians of the false teachers and their crafty tricks. He's at his wiliest when he persuades us that he doesn't exist or at least to forget him. You know, he will try and, well, does Satan really exist? We live in a world that will try to deny the world of the invisible. And he will use that. Lloyd-Jones said this, I'm certain that one of the main causes of the ill state of the church today is the fact that the devil is being forgotten. Now, Lloyd-Jones wrote these words a long time ago, but I think they're still true today. All is attributed to us. We have become so psychological in our attitudes and thinking. We are ignorant of this objective fact, the being, the existence of Satan, the adversary, the accuser, and his fiery darts. Satan has actually done a fantastic job of getting us to think that maybe he's not real. And even that has even infected the church to an extent. The fact is, he does exist, he is powerful, he is wicked, he is cunning. However, victory is possible. Now, of course, the ultimate victory has been won. Now, it's interesting this week because of D-Day, People say that D-Day, that was when the war was really won. When we managed, as the Allies, to get on into into France, that was really when the war was won. But it wasn't over. Not for another year. And there were going to be battles in that time, and some of those battles the Allies didn't actually win. But they still ultimately went on to win. And this means that for us victory is possible. Jesus has won the victory. That is assured. That is certain. That is not in doubt. But each battle that we face daily, each of those battles, yet we can actually lose them. But victory is this, standing at the end. And for God, our life in this world isn't some hundred metre sprint where if we win one sprint we're victorious and we get a medal and we get to parade it around for the rest of our life. That is not victory in this world. We are in a marathon, to use another metaphor. And uh, one of the things about the London Marathon, or any marathon indeed, is that everybody who finishes has some sense of victory. Yet the person who actually comes first and has done it in just over two hours, they've won that race. But it's a victory. Everybody who gets round has won a victory. Because I don't know if you've ever tried to win a marathon, but it's hard. It's really, really difficult. And no matter how long it takes, the person who gets round has won a victory. And that's the Christian life. It's not a hundred metre sprint. It doesn't matter where we are, we are in a marathon. So victory is getting to the victory line. And crossing that line. It's standing at the end. Running down the mall and seeing that finishing line and getting there and raising their hands, whether they're first 
or actually 36,000. They've done it and they have won. It's important personally. Because one of our goals should be not just to start well in the Christian life, but to finish well. A lot of Christians start well. A lot of people who, when their kids were growing up, they spent a lot of time with the Lord, helping them. But actually, as they get older, they drift away from the Lord. And often people come to Christ as excitement and enthusiasm, but then it sort of wanes. God wants us to finish well, and we can finish well. We can keep going. God's definition of victory is to put this armour on and to finish well. But that can only be done in the power of God. Only he can deliver us from the power, the wickedness and the cunning of Satan. It's true the principalities of powers are strong, but the power of God is stronger. It is his power which raised Jesus from the dead and enthroned him in the heavenly places. And it's his power which has raised us from the death of sin and enthroned us with Christ. Ephesians 1, 19-21 says, And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Those powers were defeated at the cross, and now under Christ's feet, and under ours. They're not just under Jesus' feet, they're under ours. So the invisible world in which they attack us, attack us and def- we defend ourselves, is the very world in which Christ reigns, and we reign with Christ. When Paul urges each of us to draw on that power, to draw on that might and strength of the Lord, he uses the same three words which are used in chapter 1 in relation to God's work of raising Jesus from the dead. But we must realise there's a balance required in this victory. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. There are two commands here. One speaks of what God does, but the other speaks of what we do. We said earlier, we have to put on the armour ourselves. It's not put on for us. We can't just walk out and say, right, we're okay. We aren't. We can't sort of think uh, that they cannot do it and... uh, And all we need to do is wait on God. Paul here says, there's God involved and there's us. There is us cooperating with God and doing and putting on what he's given us. The power is indeed God's. And without his strength we will falter, but we need to be strong in him and put on what he's given us. Without it we will be unprotected and exposed. But God will not put it on for us. We pick it up. We put it on. And we do it piece by piece. And I just briefly want to go through the pieces of the armour. The belt of truth first. Actually, this would have been made of leather and it would be true to say that it was more like almost a part of his underwear. But it kept everything else together. It was essential. It gathered his tunic together. It held his sword. It ensured that when marching, he was unimpeded. 
And in the spiritual terms, it means knowing God's word, the whole counsel of God. The sword of the spirit is where we might use particular verses to defeat Satan, as Jesus did. But here, it's knowing God's word in general, the whole counsel of God. Jesus, when he was attacked, he said, it is written. That is like using the sword of the spirit, which we'll talk about in a minute. He quotes God's own words to Satan. With the belt of truth, Paul is talking about the whole truth of the Bible, the whole counsel of God. In John 8.32, Jesus says, you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. Jesus is talking about truth as a whole, not one particular truth, but the whole truth, the whole Christian doctrine in its entirety. And Paul is saying that here. As a foundation to keep everything else together, we must put on the whole truth and then we will be really free. We'll be unimpeded. We will be able to go into the battle. Free from the wiles, the schemes, the coming of Satan. We must, in effect, put on the whole of God's word, not simply brandish it about as a weapon. So the belt of truth, which keeps everything together. Then there's the breastplate of righteousness. Paul talks about the piece of armour that covers what we call the trunk. It's important because of what it covers. Of course, it covers the vital organs, the heart, the lungs, the liver, the kidney. In spiritual terms, we're covering our feelings, our consciences, and our desires. But actually, the breastplate of righteousness doesn't really have a back bit that much because we are always marching forward. The enemy is in front of us and we are going at him. And then there's the shoes or the sandals. This was a sole with straps which held firmly to the foot. Underneath it had hobnails or studs. It was a sandal that really did prevent slipping and sliding and falling. But it also protected uh, against an oft-used tactic of the enemy where the enemy would uh, chisel wood to a very fine point and then stick them in the ground so that only a little bit of the point was, uh, was sticking out. So when the army would come, they'd tread on it, and obviously that would be pretty painful, and they'd you know, be jumping around instead of fighting. It meant that the enemy had a real advantage. But these shoes were strong and stout, so the Roman soldier could tread on them, and it wouldn't pierce their feet. And these shoes, in spiritual terms, are the shoes of the gospel of peace. In other words, we must receive the good news. When we have done that, we enjoy peace with God and with one another. This, in in turn, means we have the firmest possible footing on which to fight Satan. You see, if we're out of step with God, if we're not in that right relationship with him, then we're not going to win the battles. If we're out of step with one another when they're going to be unable to fight the battles. But when we're in step with God and with one another, when we love God and love one another, then we have the firmest footing. We're at peace with God and peace with one another and we can go into the fight. Then there's the shield of faith. Now, the first three that I've mentioned would have been armour that actually the Roman soldier would sleep in. So he could get up and go. Of course, with the shield of faith, it's by him, but he's not holding it. But it's there, so he can pick it up straight away, 
and ward off all the flaming arrows that Satan can hurl at us, that might influence our thinking and imagination, but also can get uh, fight off the trials that might come our way, the fiery darts that Satan will throw at us. So we need the shield of faith that says God is good and I'm safe in him. Then the helmet of salvation. Not hard to fathom what Paul is talking about here. It's protecting our mind, our brain. And so it's protecting our understanding and our thinking. There are times when we all become weary that we do feel like giving up. I say that about you, I know it's true of me. There are times you think, is it worth it? Can we do it? The battle is so long and drawn out. It is constant and we cannot get away from it. Let's be honest, the truth about spiritual warfare warfare is that we've been engaged in it since we first turned to Christ. It's still going on. We would like to get away from it. We will when we die or when Jesus returns. And we can simply feel that it's too much. We are so concerned with the battle that we forget who we are, whose we are, and what we are destined for. We need the helmet to protect us so that we think aright, so that we know we are God's. We know that the battle has been won. And we can forget the bigger picture of what God is doing in our lives, what he's doing in the world, and what is ultimately going to happen. We can forget what it's about. So put on the helmet of salvation so that we know what the truth is. We need to put on the helmet of salvation. And then, of course, the sword of the Spirit. Again, knowing God's word so that when Satan comes, we can protect ourselves by saying, it is written as Jesus said. And Satan will come at us with scripture as he did with Jesus. But then we can quote scripture to him properly. And the sword of the Spirit is what we take up. It's the only piece of equipment with which we attack. All the rest, if you like, is defensive. It's protecting us. But the sword of the Spirit we take up and we go forward into battle. We are in a war. We are going to face battles daily and at times it's going to be hard, very, very hard. Satan is powerful, he is wicked and he's cunning. But we have the armour in which we can protect ourselves and the sword with which we can go forward and win the battle and destroy Satan. Not in our own strength, but in the strength of God. Let's pray. Lord, we would so much rather not have to fight. We would like everything to be so hunky-dory and right and good and wonderful. But we recognise that you've called us to a war, to a battle. You've given us the equipment to win. So help us, Lord, to put it on, on a day, in a day, on a daily basis. To recognise that without it, we will lose. But in you, in Christ... When we have your armour on, we are fully protected and Satan cannot touch us. You are awesome, Lord. You are more powerful than him. And we go into battle 
with you as our head and we know we have the victory. Thank you, Lord. Amen.